2: At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the male colleagues in the room?
0: And welcome back to the Second Reading Podcast. I'm Jim Henson, director of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, today is a special poll release version of the podcast. I mean, it's special in the sense that we don't do it every week, but we do do it now roughly every other month. But still,
2: feels, special. feels like every week.
0: So uh, on March 2nd, we released a new statewide poll of Texas Attitudes, mostly though not entirely pegged to the legislative session that's now underway in Austin. Uh, I'm very happy to be joined today by my co-conspirators in the poll. Darren Shaw is, I was gonna say Darren Shaw on my left, just to give a sort of little visualization and a a, a subtle play, or not so subtle. Uh, But Darren Shaw, uh, my friend and colleague, is university distinguished teaching professor and Frank C. Irwin Chair of State Politics in the Department of Government here at UT Austin. I hear they're going to rename
1: the Irwin Chair the Moody Chair. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, no, I was going to say the longer the title, the, uh, the, the less the expertise. So,
0: <laughs> so thanks. thanks for being here, Darren. Appreciate it. No, my pleasure, Jim. And on my right, Josh Blank, the Research Director for the Texas Politics Project.
2: Here I am. I have no names other than that. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> you know.
0: Well, you, you know I'll take a chair. You need a Moody name. A moody. I mean, everybody's got Everything's a Moody name. Moody, well, you know, there's McCombs. We'll come up with that case, after we go to a right? show at the Moody. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so as I said, the the poll was focused largely on the legislative session. And as a result, you know, we approached it mindful of of where we are. Well, really, where we were in the session at the time we were collecting data. That is – you know, we collected in mid-February, mid to late February, and, um, you know, things were sort of still getting started. And while there's a lot of coverage of, you know, this bill and that bill, what we were really after was trying to get at the underlying attitudes for a group of people, that is the general public. They're not following the session very closely, which we, you know, the data has – we saw in the data this time and and have seen in the past. So, you know, we're trying to, to – you know, get at the salience of, of policy areas, underlying attitudes while in some ways keeping our powder dry for the most part on specific proposals um, till later in the session as we begin to get a, a, a better sense of the lay of the land. And there's some exceptions to that. There are things we know are going on. We ask some significant questions, you know, some more specific questions in some ways about public education, a little bit about um, uh, some of the business stuff. But by and large... You know, we were looking at, at underlying attitudes. So, so, Josh, could you start by just giving us the the nuts and bolts and you know field dates, et cetera, so people know what we're t- when when and what we're talking about here.
2: Right. Sure. So, this is this is a f- uh, a survey of twelve hundred self identified registered voters in Texas. We were in the field from February tenth to the twenty first, and so you know that produces a margin of error for the full sample of plus or minus two point eight three percent. Larger margins of error, you know, for subgroups. And uh, and that's sort of the nuts and bolts. I mean, that's the basic. Yeah. I mean, just, just I guess just I'll just you know add a little bit to what you said, which is you know if you've been listening to this podcast, which I think you would be if you're listening to this one, you know, the last couple of weeks has been this dis- really very much a discussion about what's going on inside the process, and we've been doing this for long enough, and some of us longer than others, right, to know that you know we're seeing you're having this very in depth conversation about you know early committee hearings that are going on, but we also know studying public opinion, this is not where people are normal people who don't like you know follow this stuff closely or even work in the process right
0: yeah and so let's that's so that, that points out a good place where we should start which is let's look at when what people are paying attention to we started kind of the substantive or the the, the issue part of the survey with questions about um what people have heard about in the news. So talk, walk us through a little bit of that, Josh, and then Darren, I'd like you to kind of respond to like how you read this.
2: Yeah, I don't, you know, so basically you know, we're kind of interested first and foremost, and this is something we do, and it's, you know, it's for, it's almost for, more for other people and for us. It's a little bit for us, but one of the things is we have these stories that are going on that are huge, you know, I think, again, within this community, it's like, oh, committee assignments are going on, right? They're, they're talking about the budget, uh, you know, they're electing a speaker and there's an idea inside the process like, oh, this is like a really big deal. You know, people are fighting about whether they can spend their campaign money on the speaker's race. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, when we ask Texans, like just at, at the broadest level, like, are you paying attention to the session, you know, right now? How close are you following it? We find less than, you know, fewer than one in 10 of any, te- of any group of Texans says they're following the legislature extremely closely right. at this point. Now we know from past sessions, it'll go up over time, right? But starting right now, Ultimately, people aren't really, you know, combing through bills, right? At the same time, you know, the Texas news is competing with a lot of other stories, right? There's, you know, inflation, there's the war in Ukraine, there's the handling of classified documents by both the former president and the current president, right? There's a debt limit. So one of the things we want to do early on in the poll is just to get a sense of, like, what is the relative levels of attention that the Texans are paying to these issues Uh, And then are there any sort of interesting differences between them, right? Is that a good sort of step? Yeah, yeah. And and this is, I mean, I'll just say this. It would be easy to say like, oh, you do this. And then you say like, well, then why did you ask them all this other stuff? It's like, no, we (laughs) did this because it actually contextualizes why we ask people other stuff in the way that we ask them, which is we're not asking about specific policy proposals they've never heard of, they haven't thought about. It might not even make it out of a committee. We're asking them about their general ideas about the directions of state government, levels of spending and in some of the big areas some deeper questions where we know there's going to be action so darren i mean this is like in some ways this is obvious maybe i mean it's obvious in a
0: lot of ways in terms of what we know about the salience of national issues versus local stuff but there were a couple of interesting items in here and and what did you make of what we got here
1: Well, first, I'd I'd like to strongly object to the notion that your audience hasn't expanded greatly by my presence here at this particular (laughs) pod, so um, so, I hope that is duly noted. Uh, (laughs) So, if, if you know, the listeners take a look right at this. Shelly's naughty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, my wife and uh, children, I think have, have probably, Not tripl- all of them probably tripled the audience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you get a 50% hit rate right. amongst your family and you're doing pretty well. Uh, so uh, the, the way we've sort of situated this, we actually asked people, have you heard about these, uh, we didn't say in the national news, but we asked uh, uh, several questions that are essentially national questions. And then yeah. we asked some state questions. And one of the things that I, th- I find interesting and sort of a Kind of a nerdy perspective, but I think it's illustrative of bigger points. Is is that you're talking about the national issues, and you're getting you know close to two thirds of people say they've been they've heard something or a lot, I should say, mm-hmm. about increased prices or inflation. You know, you get well over fifty percent saying they've been paying attention to the war in Ukraine, the document, uh, you know, controversies are about fifty percent. Bubbles, and they, right about yeah, 50, yeah, then you get to the state stuff, and even the top issue, which is abortion, scores a little over one in three. Right, so so you're really talking about. Uh, you know, from the top national issue to the top state, state issue, at least in terms of people saying they're paying attention, it's about a 30 percentage point drop. Yeah. And frankly, this is in the interest since we're all responsible for this poll being slightly self-critical. We're asked about, you know, how much have you heard in the news? And I'm a little dubious about some of these, you know, the exact magnitude of some of these numbers. I think what the audience should do is probably read these numbers as an indication of how much attention people are paying or how salient, as you mentioned, Jeff, they think the issue is, right? Yeah. As opposed to the particular numbers, like, do I really believe that, uh, you know, one in 10 Texas uh, registered voters are, are really paying a lot of attention to committee assignments in the state legislature? No. Right. Um, you know, yeah. I think I think people are... are trying to respond to the pollster. They're, you know, they're polite. Um, So so I'd say people pay a little less attention to the specific numbers, pay attention to the relative numbers within the battery of state questions, and then the comparison between some of the national issues and state issues. I think that gives you some insight into the the psyche of the American voter right now. And
2: I'll add into that some comparisons between different groups, right? So for example, like, you know, in terms of like we think about like attention to the number of migrants crossing the U.S.-Mexico border, unsurprisingly, a lot more, you know, Republicans are much more likely to have heard a lot about this than Democrats. And you think, can see the relative way the different groups are necessarily sort of placing on different issues in terms of, because again, this is this is goes two ways, right? I mean, part of this an idea is like, this is not a measure of what's in the news. This is a measure of what people have a sense of what's going on out there and what they think right. they're hearing about. And you can see, you know, given the sort of bifurcation of media habits and all that kind of stuff, that like different groups of people are hearing about different things at different rates. And that's sort yeah, of what's interesting.
1: In some sense, it's, you know, you almost want to read this as a question of if, if I put all of these things in front of you, which one would you read first, or which one would you care most about? Yeah. And, and,
2: you know. and when we analyze, like when I analyze, the first thing I do is I say, let me sort this by the share of people who've seen a lot, because that's actually what's interesting. It's seeing what the rank right. order is, and that's I think that's exactly the same point you're making. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I, and, and I think you know the, the the main point of this I think as we take away right now is the the real gap between what's taking up sort of people you know headspace. For people is mostly national.
2: Yeah.
0: Right? And, yeah. and even, you know, if you look at the, you know, even, you know, Darren mentioned how the top issue in in Texas was 36% saying that they paid attention to changes in abortion to abortion laws in Texas. A lot of attention, yeah. That might be one of the most national stories in the state.
2: Right, and that's being driven yeah. by Democrats. Right,
0: right. and that's yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, right. um, so I would urge people to kind of look at that. So, okay, so you know, we also talked a bit, you know, we've already talked a bit about um, uh, attention to the legislature. Now, in, in you know, keeping with the theme of kind of what where we were at and how we timed this, we gave people something that we we tend to try not to do, although, you know, we do it periodically, which is we provided an open-ended question that tried to focus people a little bit more on the legislature and ask what and ask people what they thought in a few words the legislature should prioritize while they're in session and it really does underline the degree to which you know, it's a pretty diffuse kind of topic.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, so real quick, I mean, the top issue named by people was immigration, some immigration or border security related issue. And that was one in four voters. Twenty four percent said this should be the legislature's top priority. And then after that, no other area got more than 10 percent. Right. And that may sort of sound I mean, in some ways that could sound kind of like, well, what again, They're like, well, what's the point of that? It's like, well, actually, the you know, how diffuse that is, is the point right? It's that, you know, it's not as though at this point in the session, the public is calling for something specific. It's not as though we're saying, right. I mean, you know, let's say, certain publics are calling for some specific things, but overall, like, you don't look at this and say, this is going to be an education session, or this session has to be about property taxes, otherwise they're not meeting what the voters are asking for. And in fact, you know, property tax is something certainly going to be taken on, and 4% of voters said something about property taxes. If we had the 2% who say, who said something about housing, we're at 6%, so we're at one quarter of the people who said immigration and border right. security. Yeah, and interestingly enough, it, this doesn't look that different than the MIP state. No, this is right? pretty much, I mean, I would say, this is this is kind of what you'd expect when you don't, you know, when you don't give people any sort of constraints. And these are all, I mean, these are the issues. It's not as though there was some like, you know, crazy sort of hidden things that kind of came out of this and you say, oh, I didn't realize that was an issue. I mean, the top issues are it's immigration. It's
0: very disappointing to the marijuana. <laughs> yes, it's not the top issue.
2: But if you yeah. but if you look down the, the the overall list, you know immigration, border security is at the top, 24%. Then you have inflation and cost of living, 8%. Gun control or gun safety, 7%. The economy, 6%. Education, 5%. Energy or the grid, 4%. Healthcare, 4%. Property taxes, 4%. Abortion, 3%. and kind of then it just kind of trails yeah, off. Kinda, but those are you know I mean that's not a it's not a bad sweep. You don't you know, look, look at any space. of those and go
0: oh nobody's been talking at all about any of this. So are you, Darren, you want to jump in?
2: Yeah, I, I would probably
1: combine. Inflation, cost of living, yep. with the economy, yeah. so that's eight mm-hmm. percent and six percent. So that that ends up, if you put those yeah. two numbers together, you end up with fourteen percent, which trails only immigration and border security. So those are the the two top issues. I mean, just a a couple of small observations. The first is abortion is offered as an open-ended response by only three percent. Um, that's not to suggest that it's not on people's minds, that it's not important, but it it doesn't score. You know, off the charts, and this has been an interesting conversation both in Texas and nationally about the the cutting power of abortion, about its resonance, particularly with Democratic voters. Um By the way, this is, I don't mean to suggest that it is not a salient issue, because amongst Democrats, it scores quite a bit higher. Just I don't remember the particular this is five, numbers. but I have
2: a que- I have a question okay. for you actually. But I was wondering, you know, you may may have the answer to this or not, and if you don't, that's okay. I was just wondering, you know, I wonder because you look at more national polling and stuff. And I wonder, you know, in in states. Where you know you have Democrats in control of the legislative process or Democrats expecting more on abortion than in a state like Texas, where, you know, in some ways, the smart democratic play would be, no, don't touch that. That's fine, right? Yeah. Because you're not going to get what you want
1: right. actually, it, what is interesting right now is it's a, it's a re, it would be a reasonable hypothesis to say that in states like Texas, yeah. or states with restrictive abortion laws that have either you know been triggered by the by the Dobbs decision mm-hmm. or have been passed subsequently. Um, that abortion should be a a rallying point for Democrats, ought to score very high with Democrats. Whereas in states like California or New York, that already have permissive abortion laws on the books, um, that abortion shouldn't be as much of an issue because of the state context. That's actually not what we're finding right Mm -hmm. now. And there's an an interesting conversation to be had about the nature of the abortion issue right now. Um, I, I kind of think it's a marker issue for women's rights more generally, particularly for people of a certain generation. Um, I'm going
2: to tell you right now, encoding these open-ended responses that was what was crossing my mind a little bit in terms of trying to figure out, looking at the comments, where exactly some of these things went. And it would be interesting to go back, actually look at the O'Bannon's. And I mean, again, it's a small sample within those, the whole thing, but just to see some of the demographics there and see how the language might be different.
1: Right. I I think, you know, there's two, there's two obvious, and this is an oversimplification probably, but my working hypothesis would be that, you know, for, for women who came of age during Roe, abortion is such an important, you know, Issue with respect to their rights, with respect to understanding the parties' positions, with respect to women's rights, there is so that's kind of one group of people for whom this is a, a big issue. The, the other potential group are people who are, you know, have a self-interest or direct, you know, kind of interest in the abortion issue now, and. Yeah. and to, you know to be kind of totally practical be women and i guess men too but of a certain age
2: yeah i've been using the term gestational age and every time i say it somebody bristles so i try yeah. not to yeah. say it. look like i right. only do it on podcasts i can't it's little, yeah. it. it's a little labby yeah i'm, I'm like, sorry <laughs> hey let's shoe fits okay, yeah we're lock. the yeah, we're code, we're our lab coat fits we're, we're always Next trying week with we'll
1: them. have don lemon on the show yeah, exactly. <laughs> But but my my sense right now is that it's actually not showing up as a as a driving issue for young people, for instance, yeah. the way you might have expected. It does seem to be showing up for let's let's say uh, men and women between uh, forty five and sixty four years of age. Um, and so I, that's very kind of slender, but at least suggestive evidence about how this issue is is playing. The other thing, just a small comment on the multiplicity of issues, right? That there's not a, a yeah. real focus. This was evident in the 2022 midterms. I, yeah. I think people misread it a little bit. That is to say the Democrats didn't have a, a single rally. Dobbs and abortion got a lot of yeah. attention, but there were a lot of smaller issues for Democrats. And, and I think they ended up mounting to something kind of coherent and something that that did succeed in mobilizing Democrats in a way that we hadn't quite expected. Uh, you also see that on the Republican side too, where it's it's partially immigration and border security, it's partially crime, it's partially you know sort of parental involvement in the schools, it's partially inflation. So on yeah. both sides, neither party has really rallied around a single issue. And I, but I don't think that means that the issues aren't important or salient right now. I just think they're awfully diffuse. Well, what I would say about that though
0: is that among Republicans, you know, half. Said immigration and border security. Right, right. But it, na- and and so nationally, a valid, that's, I mean, yeah. I know doesn't mean you're. They're always talking about that, but it's a, it's a pretty great fallback position. I, if, you're, you know, touch, if you're a, republic, a if you're a Republican, candidate. I think
1: that's right. But yeah. nationally, I think what you'll see in Texas is that it overwhelms everything, right? Yeah. And we see that in these data. Nationally, yeah. but, issues like crime and inflation and gas prices come up yeah. to close to those levels such that if you're a Republican, it's not national Republican. It's not obvious what you should be talking. Although certainly from some of the conversation early on with some of the Republican wannabes out there, that that immigration is a huge part of their rhetoric.
0: Well, it's almost like a security blanket, right? I mean, I think their polling is telling them the same thing that our polling is telling us.
1: Right. And and, and again, for the listeners, it's border security as opposed to immigration. There's not a big conversation about pathway to citizenship or punishing people here. It's all about securing the border and dealing with the southern border crisis to— you know, kind of mouth- Yeah, and that's, you know, and that's
0: an innovation. We've talked about it. I mean, that's sort of innovation that slowly evolved in Texas, I think. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah.
2: Josh, you were going to say something? I thought, yeah. To- well, I was just, I mean, it, was, it, was, it was reacting to what you were saying about sort of the, the lack of a, a, a single sort of campaign theme. And it is interesting because, you know, we, you know, I've studied campaigns and elections with you, you know, and there is sort of like over time in history, you can sort of say like, oh, that campaign was about X or that campaign was about Y. And it is really interesting thinking even over the last, let's say, you know, I would even, 16- you know, Ish years, let's say maybe, eh, maybe fourteen-ish years, let's say. Right, I'm trying to think like 2008, 2012. Well, it's a it's a range, you know. (laughs) But you start thinking about the fact that the idea of like you know. Uh, not only like at the same time that, you know, sort of Obama and his, you know, coalition of the ascendant and trying to bring people together under like a specific, you know, under kind of a general banner here that brings together these democratic issues, which are, again, kind of disparate and all that kind of stuff. And you have to bring all these people together. But I was also thinking about the changes in the media environment, too, in the sense that there isn't a national narrative anymore, really, that like people would say, oh, this is what's going on, you know? yeah And I wonder how much that plays into this idea that even or reinforces in the parties, you know, this sort of like fragmentation, both between them and among them, because, you know, even in you know the Republican party, it's like, you know, Fox News is a, a segment of that electorate. There are more conservative options out there, much more okay. conservative options. There are less conservative options. But like, I mean, to your point, I mean, there, I, there is a little bit more, almost sort of strange, but like, there's a little bit more heterogeneity maybe in Republicans it, yeah, I, than I there think, used to be.
1: You know, Jim and I, Josh is probably too young to remember this, but yeah. we remember the 92 campaign and and it's the economy, stupid. It right. was all about the economy. And I think a lot of us who kind of came of age during that time, felt that going into 2022, that mm-hmm. that the in you know inflation and, and rising prices were going to just absolutely kind of dominate the conversation. And I don't think that happened. Um, and there are a lot of kind of explanations for why. But even within the within the broad topic of inflation, there is, to use your phrase, heterogeneity, that is, well, rising prices meaning what? Meaning healthcare prices, meaning gas prices, meaning grocery prices. And what you saw, actually, we've we've done this in a couple of the polls we've done. If you break it down and say, "Well, what part of yeah. you know rising prices are you feeling the most?" Uh, well, Democrats tend to talk about health care um, and prescription drug prices, and Republicans tend to talk about gas prices and and groceries. So it it begs the question, you know, are we so polarized? Are partisan views so different that that it's possible to have an election that kind of centers around a single thing? Setting aside Donald Trump being that single thing, right, which, right. which I do think was— Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. there are
0: things that, that lend themselves to broader appeal. But, I mean, as we were, you guys were having that conversation, I was thinking, you know, polariz- you know the difference between 92 and now, I mean, the biggest difference, there's a lot of them, obviously. But, you know, media environment is one of them, but media en- environment is part and parcel of polarization and the sorting of right. the parties, right? So, right. so I want to go from the the high level— yeah. To something pretty specific. I mean, one of the interesting things to me about what we saw in these salience issues is, um, you know, the kind of, you know, the dog that didn't bark on property taxes. Because hmm. um, on one hand, reducing property taxes has, you know, was a central component of most every Republican campaign in the in the state, mm-hmm. you know, from the legislature on up to the governor. Um, it is one of the, the, the items that is preoccupying the discussion in the legislature. And yet, you know, in that open-ended response, um, you know, very few people mention property taxes, right? Single digits, um, 4% of voters, 7% of Republicans, right. you know, so it's not even that there's some partisanship hiding in these low top level numbers. Right. Um, now we did probe it a bit, you know, we asked people how state taxes impact their personal finances. And when we asked that, a majority said 58% said that property taxes have a major impact. And then when we kind of made people, you know, force people into choice to say what has the greatest impact on your personal finances, 47% came back with property taxes. So I mean, in some senses it's it's kind of a validation of the approach yeah. in that if you talk to the public about it. They're going to say, or you even if you give them some substantial property tax reduction, we've pulled on mm-hmm. that in the past, it's got to be substantial. People will take it and probably take it happily based on their perception of, of tax burdens. But it's not driving a lot of attitudes, doesn't seem to me.
2: Yeah, but, you know, I mean, part of it, I think, might be, and I'm just you know, thinking about it as I look at this, you know, it's also kind of what's available. You know, I mean, there's a lot of aspects on this point I don't think we can necessarily get to in this podcast, you know, where you say, like, okay, you know, there's Republican majorities – there's Republican leadership, their main focus is going to be the will and desire of Republican voters. The lieutenant governor has said that directly, right, yeah. and saying this is what the majority of the majority party wants in this state, right. in talking about some of these policies. And when you look at property taxes, you know, so you know, what's interesting is they're just the coalitional dynamics of the two parties really manifest themselves. And I'll just be real brief, you know, simple brush here. The Republican party tends to be older, tends to be whiter, more likely probably to own homes. Democratic party tends to be younger. More likely probably to be renters who are not going to be affected by property taxes directly. And that comes out in the numbers because partisanship shouldn't necessarily affect your tax burden. But 68% of Republicans say property taxes have a major impact on their finances. 51% of Democrats, when we say what is the biggest impact, it's 59% of Republicans say property taxes. 40% of Democrats. 28% of Democrats say the sales tax. Right. So if you're looking for a nice sweet spot that hits two-thirds of your party, right, which is kind of where they were in the last session, there aren't a ton of spaces left, right? I mean, we could talk about this later, but like they can't go much further on abortion restrictions. Can't go much further on gun restrictions without bumping up against, you know, again, elements within their own party. Yeah,
1: some lane markers. I'd I'd put that Josh's point in a slightly different way at two levels. The first is, you know, there is a leadership quality here. Mm -hmm. um, And that is that, that people are responsive to elite conversations, mm-hmm. and right. and it, it strikes me that property taxes are an issue where, if if you touch on it, if you, if you play that chord, um, it It's, it's, it's going to resonate, right? You know, yeah. it's it's like you know what is it? You throw a guitar down the down the stairs and he'll play the first four chords of Gloria. Um, <laughs> you know, if you throw a Republican down the stairs, he'll <laughs> he'll play the first four chords of property, <laughs> property tax, tax reduction. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I think there's a reason for that. I think you know that it does resonate with a particular group. But but to Josh's point, here's how I'd put it slightly different. Yeah. It's the same point, but um, you know you're looking at issues that um, nobody's going to oppose, basically. Right. And if you talk about property taxes, Republicans are going to love it. Independents are going to really like it, and Democrats are fine with it.
2: You're not going to vote against it.
1: Exactly, and and that's Most not likely. true of most of these issues. So in that sense, from a from a practical point of view, we're not talking about public policy, although I'm interested in this, Jim is, and Josh is as well. Um, but from a practical political point of view, it's kind of sitting there, as Josh suggested, just kind of smiling at Republican legislators that, you know, this is, I'm right here, right? Um, you know, this is, you know, we can go back and play the hits and property tax reduction is one of those hits. It plays well with everybody, it alienates nobody. Um, so you can, you can see why, it would be attractive even if it's not showing up organically as one of the top one or two issues. Right.
0: You know, as we as we wind down a little bit, let's 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 do our uh, kind of round robin here. Uh, let's start with you, Josh. Josh, what in, you know, what that we haven't talked about was you. Did you find interesting, small or large?
2: Okay, I'll I'll go with something kind of small. Uh, you know, in that salience battery of news items, we were asking. You know, again, uh, it was pretty long. I think it was about fourteen different items, somewhere national. Again, about half were were state, maybe a little more. And one of the things we asked about. Was you know how much they've heard in the news about ChatGPT, and you know part of the reason that we put it in there is because I you know sort of a, I mean when we wrote this poll, ChatGPT was just it just everywhere in terms of the way that people were talking on the media and they're talking about how this is going to be either the end or the beginning of all kinds of different industries, higher education, you know, humanity, police and, humanity. and you know it's one of those things where I'm like you know just, it was just are people like even paying attention to this at all? And the answer is no. And I love that because if you have any sort of thought about the few, you know what ChatGPT is going to do in the future, just so you know, only 14% of Texans said that they heard heard a lot about this in the period in which that was like all anybody was talking about. It wasn't the bottom of the list, but it was by far the lowest of our national story discussions. And I think it's just a reflection of the fact that, you know, again, when you're talking about hard things and especially kind of, you know, in the media and at that kind of level, it's important to keep in mind that like people don't have developed views about like a lot of these technology related things. And a lot of times they're not even paying any attention to it. So, forty percent said they'd heard nothing.
0: Yeah, it's just the way Skynet wants it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Darren, what did you? How about you?
2: Can, can I go too? Even though I know we're in the of rapid course, fire yeah, got, section yeah, of got, this. Got,
1: got um, it, within the abortion, uh, battery, uh, what what Josh and Jim and I have done together is is. Kind of offered a different way of thinking about how to measure opinion on abortion. Um, we know, you know, people think of it as pro-choice, pro-choice, pro-life, where did you oppose Dobbs? Did you support the Dobbs decision? All of that's legitimate, those sort of self-identification questions and reaction to the Supreme Court's decision are obviously important ways to measure opinion. But we have always been of the opinion that abortion on, uh, that a, a, abortion opinion is much more subtle and nuanced, and it depends on two things. What are the conditions or the circumstances under which we're talking about a a woman's right to choose and secondly what what's the timing and and both these are relevant for public policy so we've got a battery that i'd encourage everybody to take a look at where we vary okay what's the circumstance and it ranges from you know a woman's health is in danger that is a woman's life is in danger all the way to you know the woman is married and does not want more children so the sort of range of conditions and then we ask you know under you know when would you permit an abortion from from never all the way to at any time during the pregnancy. And I, again, I'm always sort of uh, interested in the variations. So just as a, for instance, when we ask the condition, uh, when a woman's health is seriously endangered, only 7% say that you should never permit an abortion under those circumstances, right? Whereas if you say woman's woman is married and does not want any more children, 34% say that you should not permit an abortion for that particular condition. And at the other end of the spectrum, woman's life is endangered, 43% say, at any time during the pregnancy, an abortion should be permitted. Um, whereas, if you say, you know, if a woman's uh, is married and doesn't want more children, only 16% say that you know she should have the right to terminate a pregnancy at any point, right? So you really get a, a, a thorough range of the variation of opinion. Second, small thing: um, our, our friend Senator Ted Cruz. Um, I'm interested in the the percent strongly approving of of Ted Cruz and the variance across years there seems to be kind of an interesting, you know, dynamic here where the year heading into a reelection, uh, the senator's numbers dip. Um, and he, you know, so for instance, you know, last time he ran, we're talking about 2018. Um, he ended up uh, at that point with only, I'm looking at the February 2018 numbers, which are kind of analogous, getting close to where we are now. And he was at eight uh, only 22% strongly approved. He's now at 21% strongly approved. And just you know, picking a randomly, in June 2021, he was at 31% strongly approved. February 2021, 33% strongly approved. So, his his internal support within the Republican Party seems to ebb and flow a little bit, and it's an interesting question of you know, were these numbers picked up by people in the Cruz campaign? Did it influence his decision to to shut down speculation about a presidential run? Um, because I have I have a sense that if he had been ambivalent about that. Um, that these numbers might have been stickier. That is, the Republican support and enthusiasm for Cruz may have been really tough to recover here. Yeah. just a thought.
2: Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, there's two yeah. things I think of about just in re- response to the Cruz thing. I mean, one, it strikes me that he has, you know, he has like surprisingly variable numbers just in general. I mean, I think you know, for a other guy pe- with that
1: much, you know. Yeah, I mean,
2: yeah. I mean, he, people know who he is, right? Exactly. But I think part of it is that you know, there's almost no issue that Ted Cruz will not speak on, and that's not a criticism, but I mean, like, he has his podcast, like he puts himself out there, and really, like any any and he ends up in, in interesting positions on things from time to time, and you know, he's not someone who's going like, to walk that back. You know, if you think about it, most politicians, say, would you like to have a really long public record on which people can look to see where you stand, or would you like to come out and just kind of be a blank slate? I would take a blank slate you know, if I want to <laughs> win, and he's not a blank slate. And he's also constantly playing. The other thing that's interesting about the way you, you describe that is it compares so interestingly to, to Senator Cornyn, right? Yes. Who would love to have Cruz's numbers, but also, you know, he has the opposite scenario, right? He comes into an election and then his numbers just start to tick up, tick up, tick up, tick up, and then the election ends and he goes back down. <laughs> right. And it's so it's so it's interesting, I mean, just to see those, those internal state dynamics with the senators because they are so different. Right. And the
1: disapproved numbers are pretty not entirely, but pretty consistent. It's the core of Democrats out there who do not like Cruz and right. do not yeah. like Cornyn. that's not where the movement. That's comes. not where the movement exactly. comes from, though. That's exactly. The thing. It's not, right. exactly, it's not. You're right. Exactly. All within so Republicans. You know, are Republicans jazzed about their incumbent senator, or are they not jazzed about their incumbent senator? And and you're right. It peaked in 2022. I think people's partisan juices get flowing, and now the election's over. Sessions in play. They're back in Congress. Republicans, you know, at least control the House, and I think baggage accrues to the. Incumbent party a little bit, and you start offending people with actual policy positions, and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, you know the, the,
0: the,
1: there's an it's 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 an endless source of of
0: precious metal to mine, you know, of ore to mine for precious metal, you know, comparing the two Texas senators, and <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not familiar enough with the others, you know, I mean, how could I be? I don't think, but with the dynamics in in many other states, but mm. the one here is really pretty fascinating. It really is. I yeah. mean, it's it's. You know, it's a study in contrast in so many different ways that it's hard to not We not lean it, on it. And Josh, you know?
1: it's interesting that it, it, it weirdly kind of encapsulates the, what I would suggest are somewhat perverse incentives in contemporary politics. Because you've got Cornyn on the one hand, who, who seems to be focused on doing his job, holds key positions for the Republican Party and in the Senate. And you've got Cruz, who, uh, you know, is very visible on social media and in the media generally. Um, and it is, in fact, Cruz who is more popular amongst Republican partisans and is the focal point of attention and has you know already run for president and then poor John Cornyn's over there
2: just know, passing gun just, legislation just, and just, taking a just hit just in his do, numbers yeah, that's right just
1: right. just doing you know his work and doesn't seem to get much uh, much credit and I, I like the theme of perversion <laughs> I've
0: seen that a lot actually so you know I, I I'm torn by a, a couple of different things so Darren, you took two I'm going to take two so one and we can since we're on the theme of Actually, I'm going to do this the other way. To go back to state stuff, I mean, I, there's a lot that we haven't talked about, and it, we'll be mining this in, in the podcast for the next couple yeah. of weeks. Plug, plug, plug,
2: plug, uh, plug for the public education numbers. We have a lot in here on public education. That's what I was going to say, oh, we'll, okay. say. Oh, I thought I was just playing. that all right? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah we'll yeah, be yeah, feeding yeah. off this carcass. <laughs> okay. We'll be feeding off else. this
0: carcass so for I'm a looking, while. So I'm looking at these <laughs> public education numbers, and, and we'll be mining these a lot more going forward, but... um, you know we gave people a range of this is one of the areas we were a little bit more specific we gave them a large set of possible issues asked them to rate the importance and then rate the one they thought was most important um, for the legislature to address in the session and the rankings were pretty interesting uh, you know look not surprising – you know there's there's a lot of spread heres there are is, was inevitable, probably, given the, the number of issues we gave people the complexity of the issue. Number one response was school safety, twenty-nine percent. Second, teacher pay, twenty-one percent. Curriculum content, seventeen percent. And then we went down into like under single figures. But the two competing at the top of the single-digit uh, the single-digit results were parental rights at nine percent, and then voucher educational savings percent uh, accounts or other school choice legislation um, at 8%. Now, that's a very interesting kind of glimpse of the fight going on in public education, both at the policy level in the legislature, but also at the political level in things we've talked about in here before, and you kind of alluded to it in some indirect way, I think, Darren, in terms of the recoding of the public education issue among Republicans, raises this issue of issue ownership, et cetera, and this is another, you know, issue where vouchers or, you know, some kind of school choice legislation, very high on the lieutenant governor's and the governor's agenda, seemingly not nearly so high, to put it gently, on the House agenda being promoted by the Speaker of the House, Dave Phelan. So these numbers are, are an interesting reflection of what's going on in that. So I would put that on the table. And then the other thing, is, frankly, is, you know, as, as just... You know, I had to honestly explain to somebody why we did this, Josh and, yeah. and Darren, and I kind of didn't have much more to say other than, well, because it seemed kind of interesting. And that was, I gave a better answer than that, but at the end of the day, it's kind of, and that was the favorability rating for Ron DeSantis in Florida. Yeah. And DeSantis's, you know favorability ratings come up, you know, on one hand, you know, you can look at this glass half full, glass half empty. On one hand... You know, he comes in below Greg Abbott, below Donald Trump and his favorable, favorability ratings in the state. But he is very well known in Texas. Um, you know, if you then flip that and look at the number of, of the, the share of people that don't have an opinion of him, it's about 22%. That's comparable to about where the lieutenant governor is. It's better than Senator Cornyn. And so, you know, it's interesting that Governor DeSantis is kind of you know, uh, political offense. you know, offensive that's going on right now. He'll be in Texas this Friday. He's got a book coming out that's getting a lot of attention. Mm. He's seen right now at least as the primary challenger to to, to Donald Trump for the nomination.
1: Um, it's it's a pretty interesting item. Yeah. Well, I, the public education stuff is interesting. We don't want to neglect that as we're sort of winding down here. But the DeSantis stuff is interesting. There was a, an interesting piece, uh, I think, that Nate Cohen did. When I say piece, it's actually a figure from the piece that showed uh, the current support in national polls for Trump, which is around forty-four percent, and DeSantis, which is in the low thirties, that both of those numbers, each of those numbers suggest the candidate's going to win the nomination. In other in other <laughs> yeah. words, there are very few cases when you had a candidate polling over thirty percent at this stage of the contest, and that candidate did not go in go on to win the nomination. So which is ironic, because one of those candidates is not going to win the nomination, possibly both. Um, But I I think it speaks to this, you know, it's interesting. Not only did DeSantis command an enormous amount of attention in 2022 uh, from amongst Republicans, but the Democratic media establishment went after him hard all year. So the fave-unfave numbers here largely reflect the fact that Democrats know who he is, too. Yeah, that's a good uh, point. And, yeah. and, and don't – you know, and have decided, OK, he's a Republican and we don't like him very much. Um, I think DeSantis's numbers look more like a Republican candidate though as opposed to Trump in Texas. In other words, I, th- I think Trump always had some ambivalence uh, amongst Republicans in Texas. They ended up voting for him, but his numbers were – as we've commented several times, he underperformed an average Republican candidate in the state of Texas both times he ran. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily see that for DeSantis so far. And there's an interesting primary dynamic right now though, which is, um, if you're one of the other Republican candidates, DeSantis is a much more tempting target. Despite the fact he doesn't have as much of the vote, um, it's unclear where his supporters would go if DeSantis were to falter. Trump supporters would go to DeSantis. So if you're Mike Pompeo or Nikki Haley or Tim Scott or, you know, anybody, um, you know, if you mess up, De, you know, if you mess up DeSantis, it's possible to get his supporters. If you mess up Trump, first of all, you run the risk of getting trumped, um, but secondarily, you may only be helping DeSantis. So th- there's this interesting dynamic where the number two guy seems to be the one attracting most of the fire. And you know, this might come under the heading of is Donald Trump the luckiest candidate ever to run in the Republican, you know, primary context. But um, but anyway, we we got. You know, sixteen months or however long to kind of watch. Yeah, this and unfold. we didn't you know, obviously we didn't test all of
0: the Republican exactly, candidates, which exactly. is what I had to explain. But I mean, to to my mind, is in a fairly singular position yeah. right now. Yes, I mean, I think the in point the political. Yeah,
2: I, I think the point to make just you know from the public means like this is unusual. You yeah. know, we've done you know we and we have to go back and look at some of our old stuff, but I, you know, in terms of you know looking going into Republican primaries or, or Democratic primaries where we have asked people attitudes about out of state politicians and even out of state governors and senators and other people run and it's not in my recollection it's very unusual to see someone you know again an out of state politician run with look with numbers that look yeah. like a former president or the current sitting governor well and the c- mean, and the
0: cycle looks so different this I mean you know I was going back as sort of doing some thinking about this and you know and in our February 2015 poll
2: mm-hmm.
0: comparable point in the cycle um you know, we were already polling the primary race because everybody and their brother and sister Mm -hmm. were in the Republican primary. I mean, we have one of those primary trial ballots in our February 2015 poll that's got- 20 people in it. The the, the 12 or 15 candidates that were in there just trying to figure out who knew who anybody was. And the only person, and again, it's not a good direct one-to-one comparison, but interestingly enough, the person that seemed to like stick out other than the Texas candidates in that race, obviously Cruz and Perry were in it at that point.
1: Right, uh, with Scott Walker. Yeah, and that's Walker yeah. is yeah Walker is the and Walker I, is the comparison I, people are trying to make. Somebody yeah, wrote a big yeah, piece there was about a big piece from Walker, not Walker right is not Desantis. Enough. Yeah, yeah. I, you know the historic, and you go broke with historical analogies, but but the ones that kind of come to mind most readily one is a Republican one and that's Reagan Ford um, in '76, you where you've got two you know, an incumbent president, but but two dominant candidates. The one that actually might be better, though, is 2008, where you have Hillary Clinton. And then now DeSantis is at a position Barack Obama did not get to until the fall of 2007. Right. But a front-running candidate with a lot of baggage, very controversial, um, being challenged by someone who is not the heir to the throne, but, you know— seems to have emerged from amongst a variety right. of other candidates. The other candidates do not seem to have gotten the memo on this, and so they're still in the race. Right. Um, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. But, but you know, this winnowing of the field could be very interesting to watch. I'm not predicting DeSantis kind of survive. He could get, you know, death by a thousand cuts and could be brought down. On the other hand, you, you could have a two-candidate contest that emerges pretty quickly. And there's a nice line by Tom Bevan, I think, was— asked about this and about who's getting in. And he said, I'm actually more interested in who gets out than who gets in. In other words, do Republicans who can't challenge Trump or DeSantis successfully fold their tents and go away, or do they stick in it? And the one difference between 2008 and 2024 is the incentives to go away aren't as great because yeah. the fundraising has changed so much, right. yep. you know, but we've yep. got a lot of time to talk about it. And, this, and but, perceptions
0: you know. of what's going on on the Democratic side, I think. Yes, so. yeah,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So
0: I, I think with that we need to give up studio. Darren, thanks for being here. Always a pleasure, Josh. Josh? Thanks for providing balance and balance in your insight. Fair and balance. That's Josh Blank. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Always. Hey, you gotta write that down. Oh wait, <laughs> I got um, on my mug over here. <laughs> uh, thanks very much to uh, our staff and in, uh, in the audio studio in the Liberal Arts Development Studio at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, Again, the poll, which was just released, uh, is available in multiple forms, uh, broken down in lots of different ways at the Texas Politics Project website. That's texaspolitics.utexas.edu. Lots more analysis, thousands of graphics, uh, summary documentation, data set, the whole shebang uh, at our website. So please uh, go to the website and look at this more. We'll be back breaking down a lot more of this next week. We'll follow up on the education point, drill more down into some of the legislative politics here on next week's Second Reading podcast. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back. The Second Reading podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin.